0: Karen, I've been thinking about Just Right Reader. Oh, my gosh. Tell me why. I just Tell me why. (laughs) ain't nothing but. I just um, realized that they have sent out, like, over 1.7 million books. That is close to to 2 million. Yeah, almost 2 million. (laughs) Yes, good rounding. But almost 2 million books to kids all across the country. That's amazing. Like, it really is. And books that kids can read. That they can actually read because there is a. Really strict co- scope and sequence yep. in terms of um, a continuum of phonics skills so kids aren't getting books that are too hard for them. And I think we've talked about one of our favorite things is the representation
1: and the interest level. Absolutely. Books. And I was actually thinking about Just Right Reader this week when I was driving in my car because that's normal. Mm-hmm. Just to be thinking about decrybal text. And Just Right Reader. But... I was thinking about how my daughter has built her reading stamina independently with these books in a way that other decodables wouldn't do. Mm -hmm. Like when she's reading these books independently, which she can, because I pick the books that are on her continuum level, but they have so much text on each page that it's taking her 10 minutes to get through a book. And I even remember as a teacher, I would give these easier leveled readers and the kids would just... Oh, yeah. They would, like, fly through them. Because they were one line on each page. Yeah. So I,
0: I think that that cannot be underestimated if you're a principal, if you're a teacher leader. You, you want all
1: of your readers to build their reading stamina. Yep. And mm-hmm. this is great. Yeah. And
0: not to mention, again, the... You just burped. I just burped. <laughs> <laughs> but not to mention, the the content is so, so good. It's super relevant to kids. Yes. And I'm just not sure you can find a better product. So if you're looking for decodable text to supplement, honestly, any
1: reading and phonics curriculum it can like, supplement it can actually be if you don't have one it has a scope and sequence like guys we can't overemphasize It's really really
0: important work that sarah and her team over at just right reader have done so please go to justrightreader.com and check them out tell them that the modern principal sent you Hey, this is Christine in a few moments you'll meet Karen and we are the modern principal we're enthusiastic educators with over 30 years of combined experience in education leadership roles we have been teachers coaches assistant principals head principals and in central office we are on a quest to redefine the role of leadership in schools and use our voice to steer the next generation of leaders in education we try to keep our pod short sweet and simple right to the point and this week we have special guests from navigating behavior change We have it's like our second only guest. You guys are our only second guests that we've ever had. For real. And so we have Amanda and Danielle from Navigating Behavior Change. Hi, ladies. Hey, hi. hello. Hi. hi,
2: everyone.
1: How are you?
2: We're doing well. We're great.
1: Well, this is a little behind the scenes too, because you guys helped coach us at the very beginning about how to make a business plan uh-huh. and work together as two people working on one business. And ask us if we've done that business plan.
2: No, <laughs> we did not. <laughs> ask us if we're still figuring it out ourselves. Because <laughs> we
1: are. It's like, yeah, a lot of, it's like a lot of work, it's a lot of work with work. <laughs>
0: All right, we are, we
1: are so happy to have you both here, um, two resident experts, so we'll start a little bit, um, well, we're supposed to start with witty banter, do you have any good questions to ask them to get some good stories? I, I just feel like you guys have both worked in
0: behavior a really long time, and so you've probably had some unique characters come and go in your professional lives. And what is one of the stories, either a best behavior moment or a worst behavior moment that stands out to you?
2: Mm-hmm. I feel like for me, it's I've met so many of my best friends in the most unique Aww. ways. So um, like my good friend, Brian, shout out in Alaska, he's the custodian, but I had students that would urinate or... Uh-huh. You know throw paint across the room and, and it's constantly calling him down i need help cleaning this up and then like we became best friends and my kids loved him um and then i met amanda she was a school psychologist at our separate therapeutic day school and she was a bcba and i'm like oh my god sos speed dial you're gonna be in my room every single second so this kid is looking at me funny what do i do this kid is like, <laughs> what do I do? Like, and then we became best friends. So, <laughs> and, <laughs> and like your Yoda, she. My have, yes, my students have helped me meet so many amazing people. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is such That's, a good way to look at yeah, it. it. It
3: is the funny part was I was like I I lived in Alaska before, but I had just moved back after living in Las Vegas for twelve years, and I just wanted friends, and I was like, I just want to be your friend. So I go yes. in not be not only because she wanted help, and, you know, I'd, I'd come in and there'd be a list of questions for Amanda, like covering the whole whiteboard. Um, but I also just wanted to be for her friend. and it worked out pretty well because now we're you know years later in business together, we literally have family photos that include her through camping trips. Um, so you, you guys know.
0: met in a school setting and then both had a love for behavior and and helping other teachers with that. And
1: now look at you.
3: Now look at you.
1: <laughs> One of you is in a lawn chair and the other is a beautiful office.
3: Danielle, yeah. will have her beautiful office again I'll soon. I'll get
1: back to it. Yes, poor Danielle just moved and had a baby, yet agreed to do this podcast. <laughs>
2: yeah, the military life. Right.
1: <laughs> All right, ladies, could we start before we dive into the topic? Tell us a little bit about like your work with behavior, your training, and then just kind of what what made you draw, what made you just never want to give up coaching people on behaviors?
3: <laughs> All right, I'll start. Um, so I started out as a school psych in Las Vegas and I, my first year, I was just kind of thrown onto this autism team where we mm-hmm. would support other school psychs and kind of identifying is this autism or a cognitive impairment or an emotional disturbance and so on and so forth. And I got to be where I was like, Okay, well, I, I'm really good at identifying this, but what do I do next? And I felt yes. like there was a huge deficit of mine. And I was really tired of writing 26 page LD reports. <laughs> um, so I took a leap of faith and I joined a different team within the Clark County School District down there and um, started working in consultation, behavioral consultation um, for uh, students with autism in the district. And um, that's where I was like, Yeah, this is my niche. Uh, this Good. is my thing. And really grew as I think a professional and, you know, in that consultant com- component. That's when I went back to school. My husband was in nursing school at the time. I had two toddlers at home uh-huh. and I went back to school to get my BCBA. And I of just remember the days right. where um, I'd hear my kids making noise outside and I'd look out there and my youngest would be like, he'd have like lawn chairs stacked and he'd be standing <laughs> on the top of them. And I just think, he's got his helmet on. He's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and i go back to studying, but that's really when I was like, this is my, my thing, my niche. Um, and then from there, it just kind of grew. And I used to get so upset when people were like, Oh, you're a teacher. And I'd be like, no, I'm a school psychologist, uh-huh. but I have come to discover over the years of like growing and being in this field and coaching and consulting others that, yeah, I'm a teacher. Yeah. Just to the adults, yep. <laughs> um, not the students so much, um, Right, but I am. And so, I don't know. I just never looked back after that. That's yeah. amazing.
2: What about you, Danielle, your origin story, my origin story. So my uh, undergrad is in elementary education and I had some pretty, um, spirited learners. <laughs> so prior teacher would call them in my internships and, um, I would go in really enthusiastic and then leave feeling like a failure because I couldn't quite reach that 5% of kids in my class. So I did my master's in special education. And I think we had one class that was on behavior management. And uh-huh. at that time, I was thinking about what am I going to do this weekend? What bar are we going to, right? Not, <laughs> you know, I loved school. Um, but then I went to Alaska and was a... Um, self-contained special education teacher at our separate day school. And I still was looking around at all the other teachers. I'm like, what, what are we missing? We have these special ed master's degrees, but these kids are here for behavior. I, I don't remember learning really much about this at all to the uh-huh. extent necessary. So I said, how am I going to get these kids to their neighborhood schools, to a less restrictive environment? I need no more. So I went back to school because I love school loans and got my BCBA. Um, and then I went kind of back and forth between teaching in an intensive setting and then consulting and really fell in love with the kids who were setting fires to the building, running across wow. campus. I I had a natural ability to reach those kids. My mom is a teacher, um, a very good one at that. And so I, I have just always been drawn to those kids and I've seen a lot of what works and learning the science behind um, human behavior is so fascinating to me. And we would get all of these kids with really, really crappy home lives and crappy histories. And to know that we actually had the tools and the science to be able to change their socially significant behavior for the better, to help them become more independent, happy, engaged, That is just so cool that we have the power to do that with that right mindset and with that support that we now can provide to other teachers.
1: So awesome, I know, (laughs) so awesome. And there's people listening that I'm sure are like, yeah, I feel that same way drawn to those those kids that are setting fire, the spirited, (laughs) setting fire to the world or the school. You pick and you choose them. Yep. That's amazing. So when we kind of asked
0: you guys to come on the pod, we asked what you're really passionate about in terms of talking to administrators, because I think that it's really hard, especially to be a principal and if things feel like they're on fire in terms of behavior and not really knowing what to do. And you guys told us that one of your most passionate things you had was tier one for principals, was that right? Absolutely, yeah.
1: Yeah, I'll say as a principal, it's really easy I made this mistake as I focused on the tier three at first because that was the most obvious to Uh me, Mm -hmm. Um, and it felt like I could make a dent, but not enough. And that was the same with academics too. Like that's where I went, kind of right. You start save the people, you know, kind of like that analogy of like I'm pulling kids out of the river that are drowning, but I never actually went up to look at what's the cause of kids falling in the river that I have to save them. So I feel like this is a really common thing that principals they feel like they have to focus on tier three and think tier one's fine.
3: Right. Is that what you find? Absolutely. I think that's what we find. Um, you know, we we found over the years in, you know, our experiences, we were we were writing a lot of plans for tier three students that included tier one supports because uh-huh. that core basic structure and routine and explicit instruction and opportunities to respond and whatnot just they weren't in place. Um, and then you feel like a firefighter all the time. You're just putting yep. out fires. You can never quite get ahead. You're treading water, trying to keep afloat, keep those fires from getting bigger, keep everybody safe, but you never really gain that traction to make the progress that, you know, the students are capable, the staff are capable of and what needs to happen. Um, and that's absolutely what I think I've encountered in every district that I've worked in and across states. So oh, yeah.
2: I right. definitely agree with that. And keeping this um fire metaphor going right a lot of times we see um fuel being added to the fire so to speak unintentionally inadvertently because we're trying to take away recess we're giving you guys more you know friends to hang out in your office um and the the we see the repeat offenders it keeps happening it keeps happening but we are doing the same things when we really need to be looking at what is causing that fire is it a missing skill is it that we just need to step out and do active supervision in the hallway or on the playground um and yeah like amanda said it could be really easy to be on that reactive side and spend our time talking about you know how to keep the flames engulfed but what do we need to do to prevent the fire from even starting in the first place
1: so let- Let me just ask before we dive into like some of the more ideas around tier one, really quick for those people that aren't overly confident about the tiers of behavior. When you're saying focus on tier one, what does that look like? Quick elevator speech. What would you do to tell a principal that? Hopefully they know, but just do
3: right. Right. Tier one. Think MTSS, multi-tiered systems of support, the triangle. Right. With the green being eighty percent of our students are falling at that level of need, but it's those interventions those strategies and supports that are in place for all students all the time across all settings no matter what right okay. and that meets the core you know majority of the students needs but then you have your tier two it's more of 15 ish, a little bit higher you know support level and then that top tier being that about five percent um, requiring that more individualized but that triangle can quickly skew and flip if you don't have those tier (laughs) one strategies in place. And then suddenly you've got a whole bunch of tier three situations going on.
2: And we always wanna say that just because a student may be receiving tier two or tier three supports in the area of behavior doesn't mean tier two stops and goes away because what will quickly happen is you have all of these variables influencing the behavior. But if you had tier one in place, you'd only have a few influencing behavior. So you'd you'd have a better area to focus in when you're trying to tackle that behavior instead Absolutely. of 20,000 so different things.
0: So when you're talking about tier one supports or tier one structures, what are you actually talking about? What does that even mean? What should I as a principal be looking for?
1: Like how will I know if my building needs to focus on that or not?
2: So we always wanna start with, do you have three to five expectations for your students? And this can be classroom-wide, you can do um, classroom-wide PBIS or school-wide positive behavior supports. Um, They should really be in both. Not only do they have those up on the wall, right? Visuals mean nothing unless they're being taught, modeled, practiced and the kids are receiving feedback and that should be ongoing. We also wanna make sure we're implementing behavior-specific praise Um, that functions as a form of reinforcement for a lot of students. Um, We also wanna make sure we're doing something called active supervision. We shouldn't be sitting at our desks. We should be up, walking around the room, engaging, prompting, reinforcing, all of those beautiful things. Um, We wanna make sure we're giving students opportunities to respond. Um, Active student responding is so powerful to keep students engaged. Those are some of the top research and evidence-based strategies that we look for to make sure teachers are implementing.
1: Absolutely.
0: I remember, I had a new teacher cohort and like, I would always um, do extra training with my new teachers in my building. And I remember I'm um, like taking them on a tour of a building and like making them show me where they would stop in the hall. Like when they were making turns with their kids so that they would be able to see both sides, you know, like of that corner. And it just makes me feel like, okay, I wasn't being extra. Like you said, active supervision is important. Right?
3: It's not just being present in the room. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. right. There's a, right. a lot of I, steps to it. In my new role, I work with
1: our subs that we're hiring and um, our state continues to lower the expectation of what is required to be a substitute teacher. So we have a lot of people that are being subs that have never worked with children. So the only session I make sure I emphasize is exactly those things, have three to five expectations. And here's the word active supervision. And let me walk you through and model for you what that looks like, <laughs> Right. that will save us uh, so many behaviors for those subs, absolutely. So let's, where would you recommend principals start? Professional development, ongoing coaching, kind of a combination. Do you recommend they start with having a team to build up that like collective efficacy, that kind of thing?
3: I really think starting with that team, um, because there's some core elements to PBIS that they need to consider. um, And that would be the outcomes, the data, the systems and the practices. And so that team of stakeholders is going to be that starting point of what's our outcome that we want to see improve. What's our goal essentially. Um, and it may be one goal for now, and you have a long-term goal later. Um, but you know, what are we going to, you measure right now um, as our outcome. And so you really need that stakeholder input on that. Mm -hmm. Every building is gonna be at a different point. Um, You're going to get more buy-in if you get that stakeholder input with that team approach.
2: Yeah, Um, 100% getting, again, the custodian, getting the lunch lady on board, um, the recess aides, the teachers, uh, SPED teachers, anyone that's appropriate that you could get on board to help build that capacity to do the coaching and modeling and to reinforce those and to help each other implement it the
0: better. I was wondering too, so PBIS has been around for a while now, and I know different states actually have um, like requirements for districts to use some sort of MTSS or a PBIS kind of um, Mm -hmm. model. What would you say to a building who has been PBIS for a while, but maybe has kind of lost steam (laughs) and maybe needs to like revisit and maybe needs to get new buy-in for it. I'm sure you've had this. I'm sure you've probably been called in to consult with buildings that have Mm -hmm. had this situation. What, what do you do? How do you get, how do you get that fire back under teachers (laughs) and under staff members?
3: That's my day job right now. Um, (laughs) uh, in a building that has, you know, they have a store because a lot of people think PBIS and they think the store, right? So (laughs) that's, that's all they have. It's just a store. There's no other systems. There's no other goals. Um, and so I'm very much at that point of trying to build that momentum and set up the, the stakeholder teams. Um, but there's a lot of players involved, right? There's not just the building principal. There's not just the staff and the paras. There's also the other administrators within, you know, the, the district and whatnot. Um, and so while, I would love to just hit the ground running. It's a little bit of a slower process um, in developing that, Um, but for me right now, I'm starting with just establishing myself as someone reinforcing to the staff and to that building administration, that I'm a, a tool, I'm a support that they are going to value and find, you know, meaning in my presence and my input. And so I'm starting with just those small wins that I can get, um, helping them set up a data system, helping to, um, uh, reestablish a clear intake process for transitions in because it's a separate day school, um, and so, you know, right now, that's where I'm at. I've got things kind of mapped out of my head, um, <laughs> but that's where I'm starting, just establishing that relationship with everybody and and that I am reinforcing and, you know, beneficial to them.
2: Where I see schools typically flop when it comes to systems and PBIS is that they were really, really good at getting teams together. We're really great at getting, you know, purchasing that new data system, right? And we're getting good at taking the data, we're collecting the office referrals, all of these things, but we don't know what to do with it, right? We, we know that recess is a hot mess. We know that going from the lunchroom to, you know, math block is a hot mess, but nothing's really being done about it. Um, and that onus sometimes gets put on the teachers, you know, bring your kids in, figure it out. Um, or they bring them to the PLC meetings and, and We kind of admire the problem, right? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, But use the data. Let the data speak. Okay. If you are getting all of your office referrals when your kids are transitioning from lunch to recess or lunch to first period, start your intervention there.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: We get a lot of buy-in when we have teams focus on quick wins because they're low effort, they're high impact, and you're able to collect very easy data to show teachers that what you're doing is working rather than trying to focus on the entire school day. So you might say, okay, we're getting a lot of office referrals during this transition period. We're all going to do active supervision. We're going to do a quick training on what that looks like, sounds like. We're going to go out into the hallway as administrators, show everybody what to do, what that looks like. And we're going to take some baseline data before we do that and after. And then let's look at our office referrals. And that right there, that little quick win can get a huge piece um, of finance. So that's that outcome that's, right there,
1: right? That's so smart because we've we've even had several pods on this when we talk about like culture um and winning your staff over and those kind of things. And like that's what that's what you do with adults already. So like just do it with the be I think sometimes principals just get drowned. Drowned? Drowned? Yeah. That's not the word. Drowned. <laughs> they get overwhelmed um with so many fires and behaviors that they just can't access their frontal lobe and do what they know is right, which is those quick wins. Absolutely. So here's a question that I have, and I feel like this is where, in my knowledge, because I'm married to an AP who works in a middle school, and now that Christy and I are consulting on a larger, and I'm working in a district level, working with all buildings, we notice that there's a different approach when it comes to elementary than when it comes to secondary. And (laughs) The exclusionary discipline seems to be a little quicker with secondary as the option. Mm-hmm. And things like PBIS, conscious discipline, those kind of things are hard to get bought into a little bit.
0: So, what are those differences? Yeah. What, elementary and secondary. Is there anything in the research or best practice that's different?
3: you know, it's, it's all still applicable and it should all still be in place, but obviously like your opportunities to respond are going to look different. The way you teach and explain rules and routines might be different. Um, the verbiage you're going to use with your students is going to be different. Um, I'm actually K through 22 aging out right now. And so, it's you know, it's all those ages. Um, and yes, you know, our self-contained autism classrooms, what PBIS looks like in those tier one supports, it looks very different than the you know the transition classroom for students with autism that are about to age out, you know, on their 20th, their 23rd birthday. Um, mm-hmm. but it still all applies and they still need those use of the visuals and the structured, you know, rules and routines and the teaching of those and the practicing of those. Um, the behavior units at the secondary level, we're just use less childish visuals, right? And it's more mature looking. You just need to meet the age group where it's at, but active supervision is appropriate across all age levels, <laughs> you know, opportunities to respond. That's important across all age levels. Um, it's just how, you know, how you have them do that is going to look different.
2: And it's great because the science of human behavior knows no age. It's applicable right. to any student of any age and any staff of any age, which is great uh-huh. for training purposes. And we often find that the, the thought process for teachers and staff is a little different because they should, quote unquote, know better, right? But we want to bring it back to the fact that, you know, if these taking away recess, the punishments, all of that stuff, if it had worked, it would have worked already. Right. And we would only have had to, you know, do that once or twice for it to work. Um, So this is really their last stop on the train if they are engaging in these challenging behaviors, which is more of the reason to at the middle and high school level, really, really get on board with all of this stuff.
0: Perfect. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, especially at secondary when you have kids going to seven, eight, sometimes nine teachers in a day. Mm-hmm. Um, even more so the reason that your whole staff has to be really consistent.
1: Absolutely. Right. And my husband gets tired of this too, but I do scream often. Their brains are not fully developed yet. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They to be adults. They are not fully formed. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> he loves that. He loves that. <clears throat> um, okay. So COVID has like in all of our principals' minds, it has exasperated behaviors in their buildings. And and to some degree, like there are some kids, in fact, I was looking at kindergartners today and I was like, oh my gosh, like your socialization happened when we were in isolation, like Mm -hmm. when it would have been age appropriate for you to start interacting with other people you weren't allowed to. So has that impacted at all the work you're doing with schools? Um, Is that part of that admiring the problem kind of thing where we're just getting stuck in this, like it's post COVID, everything's worse, everything's harder. What are your thoughts
3: there? Um, I think a there's a of lot of problems. like, sorry, Danielle. <laughs> um yeah, there's definitely some admiring the problem. I think there's a lot of overwhelm because there are more behaviors. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, every district and state did things different in how they move from virtual back to in person. Um, and so they're all at different points. And even like so now I'm in Ohio and you know, there's lots of little districts, and even within them. There were different rates of returning to in-person, but kids move. And so there's a lot of academic gaps Uh because of the virtual instruction and just the, that's the nature of the game. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there's academic gaps that are, you know, triggering behaviors. Uh, There's also the socialization that lost time, but I think there's a lot of overwhelm and staff just don't know where to start. And educators are burnt out. And so I think that's a big part and then we get in that cycle of putting out fires.
2: And we really want to stress um, to admin it, it, we, you know, we're, we're trying to get this curriculum. we're trying to keep get these kids caught up at such a significant rate. And this is something I learned very early on, thanks to Amanda, I cannot get my kid caught up in reading if they cannot sit at the table and attend without having a meltdown, or they can't go out to recess you know, and, and engage socially, we need to make sure that we are focusing on behavior first in order to get to the academics second, because you're not gonna be able to, again, catch them up if they're spending two hours in the principal's office or they're getting detention or they're suspended. So we really wanna make sure, especially now that we're in the beginning of the year, we're not saying throw the curriculum out, but use the curriculum and reinforce those behaviors and spend those first few weeks and months teaching and reteaching expectations and implementing mm-hmm. all of those good tier one strategies.
1: Yeah. What are you, so thinking about that too, like the overwhelm piece, we have a lot of thinking about adults often as principals. We like to think about them, not as our students, but as a group of people that we can influence their behavior. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. So then- thinking about our adults right now who are overwhelmed, what are some strategies that principals can put or put in place to make staff feel supported and kind of get their brain back in that, out of that panic, fight or flight mode and into kind of able to remember the skills that they have about behavior?
2: Um, you know, I always think back to college courses and how I was very ill-prepared when it came to classroom management. So. In knowing that a lot of teachers struggle with this and they're feeling more overwhelmed than ever, my advice would be to pick and do this with your staff. One, tier one behavior management strategy, maybe it's active supervision, maybe it's behavior specific praise, maybe it's instructional choice and train on that. Do a professional development, give the instruction, model it for them and then go into the classrooms and help them implement that. Right? We're saying you need to do this, but if we're not in the classrooms showing them what that looks like and being there to give them feedback and ongoing actual on-the-job training and support, they're not going to do it Right, because it's either it can't do or it won't do. And usually it's a can't do because of that feeling of overwhelmed and the lack of skills. Um, so pick one, go in and help them do it. Then when they're feeling successful, a few weeks down the road, train up your staff on another strategy and just do one at a time until they're feeling confident.
0: That's really smart. It is. is. You guys, I know that you are really passionate about how principals are teaching and supporting tier one and making sure that you're modeling, making sure that you're coaching and even going back and re-teaching staff and retraining over and over again to really hit that tier one.
1: So uh, a final question, let's say not all the principals are as wise as you two with behaviors, where would be a good place for them to grab some of these resources, maybe your own stuff, um, to help them start to lead professional development? Like if they're saying, okay, how do I lead a PD on active supervision? Go, where would be some good places to start?
3: Um, so on our website, we, we actually have a list of great resources that we recommend. So that's awesome. one starting point. Um, we have some PBIS implementation books that we absolutely love. Um, and uh, in addition to that, professional development wise, that's something that we love doing. That's absolutely my favorite thing to do more than consultation. I love delivering PD. Um, I just get giddy up there.
1: You (laughs) and Christy, that's your two jam. (laughs) We love it too. A
3: little collab in the future, maybe. Yeah. Um, Yeah, Right. Yeah. (laughs) But Delivering that PD, and that's that's a resource that we offer. So we we actually partner with some different organizations across the country where we deliver professional development on just this topic. You know, how do you utilize and implement instructional choice or active student response mes- methods? How do you put these preventative measures in place? Um, and then consultation is something that we support and offer as well. Um, so you know, we we've helped um, schools with PBIS implementation in the past. Um, and then uh, we also have the membership uh, that that's where all the, the paper resources are yep. contained. Um, Danielle, you want to talk about that?
2: Sure. Yeah, we, we are currently building up that at the moment. It's going to be ongoing. Um, once this baby falls asleep, then I'll be back to making those videos. Um, but it has a bunch of videos um, and resources on classroom management, data collection, FBA VIP process, Um, But again, like Amanda said, that's more of a supplemental way to support teachers and districts, but where we find we get the biggest bang for a buck is when we actually go to schools. We just recently got back from a school in West Virginia, and we worked with their PBIS team, and being able to be there in person to instruct and model and practice all of this stuff is really where our teachers start to, and our staff, start to really get changed because we can all instruct, but a lot of us are sick of PDs that it's just that instructional piece. (laughs) They need, they need that modeling and that practice piece Mm -hmm. to really build the muscle memory for these new behaviors of their own.
1: Yes. That's
0: awesome. So many great resources. I don't think I ever told you gals that um, a couple of years ago, my counselor and I were both talking about, Hey, I just like bought a subscription to this like behavior thing online. She goes, Oh my gosh, I did too. And so we had both like purchased your membership right when it first came
2: out and we didn't,
1: we didn't even know that we both did it.
2: (laughs) We've done a revamp since then.
1: Maybe. All right, well, thank you guys so much. It's been great having you. Can you leave us with one final little tidbit before we
3: shout from out your are on the desk
0: of navigating behavior change yeah. principle.
3: I'm gonna say what I heard Danielle say, um, actually when we were in West Virginia, and I love it, and I've been, I stole it, and I've been using it since then. If we wanna change student behavior, we need to first change staff behavior but to change the staff behavior, we have to change what we're doing, which is where that teaching and that modeling and that practice and the feedback comes in. And so that really just something I knew, but I love how, how she worded that because, you know, it's a trickle down effect. We can't just expect the change because we tell them to do differently. We've got to help our teachers to do differently as well perfect. That's perfect. Okay.
1: Okay. Listeners hop over now to navigatingbehaviorchange.com. I'm on the website right now and I'm like, Oh my gosh, it's so much better than ours. so good you ladies are amazing thank you so much amanda and danielle we appreciate you you both so much you can also find them on
0: instagram and you can also email them directly from their site be sure to tell them that the modern principal sent you and please use their resources they have free resources on their website and you can also contact them for consultation and memberships
2: yeah bye thank you so much Bye, everyone.